Good morning still. Good morning. It seems like afternoon because I've done this once. <laughs> but good morning, family, and good morning, church. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know who I am, uh, my name is Samuel Schreiner, and, and I'm a member of the church uh, for going on 33 years now. Yeah. Uh, I want to also thank you all for giving me an opportunity because you know you could you guys could have always said no we're not showing up uh, but I thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak again uh, and I want to give you a little backdrop to the sermon it's do not look back is the title of the sermon do not look back but a little backdrop is about uh, six to seven weeks ago maybe even a couple of months ago Steve, uh, Pastor Steve came over to our house for dinner, and we were just talking, and, you know, and I was sharing a story with Pastor Steve uh, about my life, uh, because he had inquired, and I, uh, arm's length, I was told, first service, I was way over here and way over there, and uh, arm's length I get. It's going to be tough, but I'll work on it. Um, and after telling him the story, you know, he said to me, he goes, would you be willing to preach on that uh, on August 23rd? Well, you know, that was like two months away. And, uh, and at first I kind of balked because I had, as you, some of you know, I have really withdrawn, not because I'm withdrawing from us. I just needed to withdraw from my position to get some new perspective for me. And, uh, and I, so I kind of balked at first and and then he said, you know, and then he said, you know, I don't even remember what he said, but he said something that encouraged me to do it, so I agreed. Well, that was before I knew it was two services. <laughs> and, I, and the funny thing is, I didn't even think about that until about a week and a half ago when I started to work on this, uh, started to think about it, I should say. And then I go to my wife, it's two services. <laughs> Anyhow. The other part of that is telling him that story uh, reminded me of something. It reminded me of, A, my life's verse, because that's what became then the capturing verse for this sermon. Uh, Proverbs 3, for me it was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but I've included 7 and 8 in the sermon also. But, you know, when I came to this church, which I was not a believer, I had, I had actually accepted Christ when I was 13, 14, or 15, because I don't remember age, uh, back in upstate New York where my life began. And, um, and so I had accepted Christ at that time in confirmation class and, go, and become very active in the church as a youth, you know, in youth services and stuff like that, up until the age of 17, when I was privy to some a conversation going on with elders in the church that literally turned my life right away from the Lord. And um, not, the Lord didn't do it. They did. I should have just turned away from them. But anyhow, uh, and I walked away from the church at that age, turned 18 pretty soon, and from 18 until, uh, well, from 18 until my 30s, uh, I was looking for God in all the wrong places. And uh, uh, sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, uh, every known religion on the face of the planet, uh, I was looking. But the one thing that stayed present through all of those years that brought me to here and brought me back into the fold was that the Spirit never left me. I left the Spirit, but it never left me. And there are many times in my history, in those terrible years, where he would go, you don't want to do that. And I'd hear, you know, in my, I, don't, I don't hear an audible voice. It's not like, you know, I hear it in my head. I hear this voice. And that voice was with me in my growing up I grew up in a very violent household um, and with both my parents. They were both extremely violent. They, they had problems. 
And uh, so I, you know, both, all the kids in my, there were three kids, my brother and I especially, because we were uh, the original, uh, we suffered a lot of abuse in all forms. But that only lasted totally until I was like a year and a half when my mom de- decided to, my mom decided to um, divorce my bio father. Uh, and she was a little better than he was, but it still continued. But she remarried almost, I think within months later, she remarried her high school sweetheart who had just returned from the war, World War II, and, but had spent the entire war in, actually up in Banff at, at Lake Louise healing because he was at Pearl Harbor and he was literally blown apart. And he spent that entire knitting. He brought into our family the Holy Spirit because he was a believer. I think he became a real believer during that period of time. From that point on, I began to hear that voice. It began to tell me, you're okay. I'm here. I am here for you. When I reached my, when I ended up leaving the church, uh, at 18, I also ended up moving across the country uh, from New York. I moved to Colorado and still seeking, you know, I knew there was a God because that voice had spoken to me and that voice was always a voice of comfort, always. It was always a voice too that when I would heed what it said led me to a good path. I didn't always heed though. So when I left, and I, and I ended up in Colorado, and I was there for many years, uh, and, uh, and then I left Colorado, and I got here to Oregon uh, sometime in the late 70s. And uh, when I was here in the late 70s, uh, it was when I met Sherry. She was the girl next door. Uh, and uh, we had... We had a relationship, you know, once again, I was not walking with the Lord. She didn't even know the Lord at that point in time. And I had, somewhere in our relationship, I had planned a trip to Nepal. I wanted to see the Himalaya Mountains in person. I was captivated, I'm captivated by mountains, period. And so I, I decided to take that, uh, I set up a journey, a trip. It was, it was really ill-planned. You got I'm, an, I'm not a real good planner. And it was ill-planned because I had a round-trip plane ticket to Calcutta and 150 bucks. That was, my, that was my planning. But Sherry had said to me just prior to my leaving, she says, you know, I used to live, because I had a layover in Hawaii, you know, it flew from Seattle to Hawaii and then, and then to, uh, to Calcutta. And she says, I used to live in Hawaii. Why don't I fly over with you? I'll show you around. Because I had, you know, I could lay over for a month if I wanted to. And I says, sounds great. So we got over to Hawaii. And um, the second week we were there, yeah, the beginning of the second week we were there, she came to me and she says, I'm pregnant. And she says, but I know you have, you planned this trip. I know you, you know, it's this, your heart's in this. You go ahead and go, but I'm going to stay here in Hawaii and have our child. I said, time out. I'm just trying to digest this, you know. And so I said, give me a chance to just think here. So I took a walk in the corn, this cane field. It wasn't corn. They don't have corn in Hawaii. Cane field where we were staying at this uh, place. Uh, it was out in the boonies. We were, it was in a, with the locals. And uh, I took a walk out in this cane field, and as I'm walking along, because once again, the spirit never left me. I thought I left all the emotion in the first service. <laughs> and I said, all of a sudden I hear that voice again, and it said to me this, clear as crystal. If you want to climb a really high mountain, try committing to this woman. I've never committed to anything 
It's, I mean, just when he said it, it was like, what? And fear rushed through me. It was like, <laughs> but I recognize also that if I listen, I'm in better shape. And so I went back in and I told Sherry, I'm not leaving. I'm canceling the trip. We'll take the cash, the ticket in, get a place. I'll get a job, which we did. And we lived over there for about seven, eight months until we returned to the mainland. The point is, it was the spirit then that brought me back here. We ended up getting married unconventionally, Soaker Blosser Winery in Dundee, Oregon, 8, eight o'clock in the morning. Couldn't get anybody to come any earlier. Um, with, and when we got, we got married and we started living our lives together, and finally ended up, we're living in Portland. We sold that house, moved up to the hill across from the Aishans. Many of you know the story. They're the ones who brought us here. When we got here, after ex- it took a while for me to, to meet the Lord. It was like a couple of months after we got here. Christ knocked me against the head one night and said, here I am. And I saw him in my mind and I was swept away. From that time until now, he has continuously moved me, never really allowed me to settle in anywhere for very long. And at first I didn't get it. I thought, what am I doing wrong here? But when I I started out as an usher, then a deacon, and then I was, uh, Larry Povold had me leading life groups, which I did for like eight years, nine, whatever it was, and uh, with Trudy and Carlos. And, um, and then one day I get a call from Bud and Sheila. And uh, Bud says, can you come over to our house? I said, well, sure. And we'd gotten to know each other fairly well then. And uh, they were sitting there and they said, you know, we want you to be worship leader. I, I literally, and I'm not kidding, I laughed at them <laughs> I, out loud. And they said, wait, 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 you know, I says, I love to sing and I know nothing about music. How can I lead a worship team without knowing anything about Bud said, and she, well, Sheila said, not Bud, Sheila says, I think you're the man for the job. I says, I am not, I am not. But, Spirit encouraged me, I went ahead, and I was stuck in that, and I, I don't mean stuck in a way that I was embedded in it, I should say, heart and soul, for eight, nine years, whatever that was. And then, as I, that last year I was embedded, Spirit began, I heard that voice again, and that voice was saying to me, you're, you're going to have to leave worship. No, 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 no. And, and I kept hearing it, and so I finally shared it with Sheila. I said, Sheila, I keep hearing the Spirit tell me that worship's ending for me as far as, you know, being a leader. And she says, you better listen. <laughs> so it happened, and, you know, not to get into all the details, it happened because he wanted me to move into teaching, which I did. I moved into teaching. And then, you know, to jump to the close to where we are right now, there were changes and changes and changes kept taking place. You know, many of you know I had my own construction company. Changes. I lost the company in 2008. I didn't lose the company. Let me take that back. I lost the ability to have a, a, a crew. <laughs> so it was just me at the end finishing the jobs. Uh, uh, beca- and changes. And changes when I thought I had prayed diligently that I was I had walked his steps. You told me to do this. You told me to hire that guy. And he cost me a half million bucks. What's dip, 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 type of thing. And then, you know, I didn't get an answer to that. And so finally, after we sold the place, moved down here, and once again, we got pulled out of there. I thought I was going to die up there. My kids were going to chain me to a tree and feed me. That's what they said. 
Don't worry, Dad. If you're drooling, you're outside, though, and we'll turn you to a tree, but we will feed you. So leaving there was just, it was a heartbreak, really, especially for my wife and my family, but for me, too. But when we moved down into here, into uh, Portland, uh, Portland, Hillsboro, got a house here. One morning, as I was having quiet time, shortly after moving into that house, because I was still pondering, you know, why, why me, why me, Lord? Uh, and uh, I heard a voice, that voice say again, it had nothing to do with you. It was for that man. You mean, I had to go through that for him? <laughs> yes. And so, it was a blessing, though, and, and I shared this in first service, uh, and I'm trying to mix this up a little bit so I'm not saying the same thing all the time. And, and that is, I found out that every single time I surrendered and followed the voice, I lost something, but what I gained was so much more. And that's kind of where we are right now as a church, where we've had loss. But I think what we're going to gain is so much more. Amen. The last part of that that I wanted, before I jump actually into the verse, because this kind of builds the verse up. The last time where I thought, I finally, I'm in, I'm in my comfort zone here. You know, things are, we love living over there on Lupine Court. I mean, I loved it. My youngest son, who was still at the house, he could walk to school. Uh, Sherry loved it because it had great. It was backed up against a greenway, which reminded us of where we had lived and you know forest and and uh, so the f- probably in the first or second month we were there in my quiet time, I heard that voice say to me, "You need to change." I said, well, what's that mean? You need to stop construction and go back to school. Okay. Right after that, and I think he did this as a test, <laughs> right after that, my phone started ringing. Business was coming in. The church asked me to take over uh, management of this building. So I had this building to take care of, and I had construction jobs coming in. It was just me at the time because, well, I finally had to let my son go. He was the last person that, that but I thought, great. For two years, I'm whipping along in construction, making good money, taking care of my wife, paying the mortgage, all that, until one day I came home, and it was on a weekend, and literally my phone always rang. It would run five, six times a day with work-related stuff. I got home on that Thursday or Friday, whatever it was, and for the next two weeks, my phone never rang a bit. Not only that, the only time it rang is when my wife called me, to, you know. And so it's like I'm sitting there in my quiet time after this two-week period freaking out because I can't pay the mortgage. I actually was selling things to be able to pay the mortgage and buy groceries. And um, as I'm sitting there, that wonderful voice, came back. Do you remember that conversation we had? And I go, uh, uh, I didn't even answer. And he goes, I want you to go back to school. So at 61, he had asked me. I didn't listen, so we went through what we went through. At 63, I finally did. And I said, okay, Lord, you know, and and I don't even know why I decided that I'm not going to, I'm not going to really, I'm going to doubt you a little bit that this is really you. Because going back to school at 63 is stupid <laughs> in my head. I said, but I'll go ahead and order my undergrad transcripts because I'd gone to school in upstate New York and graduated in psychology. I ordered transcripts, and, but before the transcripts arrived, I had gone to, I finally decided to go to Multnomah and because I wanted Bible in it as well. 
So I, I go in to meet the head of this department, the counseling department, and they, the reason I chose that also is that it was a brand new, only a year plus old program that was nationally recognized, which means that I could go anywhere and do my, tra- my craft. I went there, and as I'm meeting with the head of the department, uh, she says, well, here are the qualifications for you getting into this program. You had to have a 3.0, which is lowest. That's your low, 3.0. I had remembered, <laughs> I had remembered, I did pretty good in college. So the transcripts arrived, and I had a 2.3 GPA. That wasn't even a C plus, was it? Um, and that's because of the life of debauchery that I lived while I was going to college. Uh, and so I thought, okay, Lord, if this is really you, it's, you're going to make it happen. And the long story short is he did make it happen. For whatever reason, they just decided to let me into the program. But the second week I was there, the second week I was present, I was so overwhelmed with fear and so, I mean, I, I had kids surrounding me that were younger than my kids. I, of the whole, I was the oldest person, I think in the college, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but, and, I, and the information was, as it's pouring out, I'm going, you know, and I'm thinking, I can't, I can't do this. And so on the way home, I'm thinking, I'm going, Lord, I can't do this. This was a mistake. I'm going to quit. I'm done with this. It's, this is, I can't do it. And he said to me, the voice came. Not as the man you are now. You're going to have to change. You can't be who you are and do this. So you'll do it with me. And I, so I got home and I told my wife, I didn't tell her that part of it. I said, oh, yes, I did. I, and I said, honey, uh, in order for me to continue on, I, I, gotta ch- I have to be a different man than I am now. Her eyes got about bigger, this big around. She said, what does that mean? I says, I have no idea, but the Lord's involved, and he, he'll work it out. And he did. He worked it out. And I don't say what I'm going to say here now for any uh, uh, you know, glory because it wasn't me. I went through that program in three years. It was a three-year program. And I didn't know this until I got my transcripts home in the mail uh, to, because I was working at a clinic. I had been interning there. And I got the transcripts home, and it said, Graduated with honors, summa cum laude. <laughs> I had to ask my wife what that meant. Tells you something. And it was his doing because I had followed. Anyhow, moving on. So I graduated from there. And in the process of graduating and in the process of going to school, we were forced to sell the house we had once again. We were pulled out of where we were. We were forced to sell the house because if I didn't sell it, the bank was going to take it. They kept telling me that they were going to put me into this program to roll mortgage over, but they never did. And finally, my oldest son, who is privy to that world, came to me and says, this is something that Wells Fargo is doing, and you best sell the house now because you're, you're going to lose it, and you're going to lose all your equity. So I did. I sold it. Once again, we were uprooted. Once again, taken someplace else. Once again, doing something different. But the main point of all of that is this. Every single time there was a blessing that appeared after it. Not instantly. I, I don't, well, I could never recognize it instantly. That's just it. It wasn't until I was willing to let go of that past in my heart and mind that then I saw the blessing. And that was like the same thing with when we were up on the hill. It took time for me to be able to let go. And that's what this life's verse I'm going to share with you now is all about. It's about where we are as a church, where we've been, 
and how important it is for each of us individually to let go. So, title, Do Not Look Back, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Flee from Fear, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Why is any of the story I shared to you relevant? It shows the faithfulness of God in our lives. Because this is not specific to me. I am a part of this family. This is the family of God. This is the body of Christ, correct? So I'm a toe. Kathy's an eyeball. If my toe hurts, she's going to have a problem seeing well because she's going to be focused on my doggone toe. So what I go through, you're all going through. What happens to you happens to me. Which means that Every time you let go and, and, and listen to spirit, it affects me and I grow with it. And that's why it's relevant. Also, it illustrates how we, we serve a God of restoration and transformation. He restored my life. I mean, literally, he restored, as all of us, he restored my life. And it reminds us, though, that growth comes through change and surrender. If we don't change, we don't grow. One of the worst things uh, we have, in, especially in the Western world, is comfort. Comfort's a killer. Not that you shouldn't be comfortable at times. Yes, you should. You should be able to relax and rest. But to live in the idea that we have to have comfort puts us going backwards. And it also points to the many facets of today's sermon, too, of, this, of uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 5 through 8, excuse me. So, trust in the Lord with all... I want to break this down. I'm, I'm using a John Eager f- phrase. I want to unpack this verse. Thank, I, I love the man. I want to unpack this verse because it... it it, it started to unpack itself when, because when Steve said, will you preach it on my story? Well, I didn't have anything with my story to go with it. I had to figure out, well, what, okay, Lord, what? And he says, your life's verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Start there. So, trust in the Lord. What does trust mean? Placing all of our faith and confidence in the one relying upon only him and believing all that he says is truth. Well, if all he says is truth, then why am I not walking in all of that truth? Still arm's length, Ron. And we'll get to that. Matthew 18.3 says this, Truly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I remember first reading that verse a long time ago, and I thought to myself, well, that's, I've raised four kids. I have five grandkids. I don't want to be like that again, you know? And, but what he's saying here is this in, in my experience is not to go to immaturity but to be mature in our faith to the place where we surrender with so much enthusiasm and heart and excitement for every day with him 
like a kid is with parents he loves, like a child. Trust in the Lord. Lord, the preexistent, all-sufficient, ever-present, ever-faithful, unchanging one, the I am who I am, the Trinity revealed. Do we th- I don't always think about that when I think about, you know, when I'm talking to the Lord. Who are you talking to here, son? <laughs> Whoa! And that's the truth. The awe, that's the fear that he asks from us. That awe of, I can't even comprehend you. You're too big. You're, you're, you're there. And I don't even know how far there goes. That's the trust in the Lord. That's who we're trusting in with all your heart. Now, this particular verse is kind of special to me, too. They're all special, I guess. This is kind of special to me because of this. Um, Heart is spoken of over a thousand times in the Word. It's the most used Noun in the entire, in the Bible, most used. But the writers, and when, we, when I first read, read, read hard in the Bible, uh, I would think about this pumping blood thing we got in our, you know, it pumps, moves the blood around our bodies. But that's not what ancients, when they said heart, that's not at all what they thought about. And I did a lot of research on this, and I found that, uh, in the ancient times, the writers of gospel, of the, of the scriptures, when they said heart, they were talking about the center of emotional, intellectual, moral activity within us. And that's the part of us that, fortunately, when the new covenant was made, Christ gave us a new heart. So we didn't have to carry the burden of the old heart. Now, we still had sin, but we didn't have to carry the burden of the old heart. That center was, and I don't understand it, was somehow activated. The other thing that I, in research, and this is just a rabbit trail, this is trivia. They, there's a, there's a, an institute in Northern California called the Heart Math Institute. They have done major, major research on the human heart. Just like there's been years, all the research being done on the human body now is being done on living organs because now they have machines that can study living organs, living brains, living hearts. They have found, and this is documented, they have found that the human heart contains 40,000 neurons. Neurons are what make our brain operate. They have found that the heart is much more powerful than the brain. As a matter of fact, the heart is in constant communication with the brain, I think basically telling it what to do. The heart-brain heart thing in us, can, it can sense, it can feel, it can learn, and it can remember. And they've been able to register that. I don't know how. Don't ask me. That's the rabbit hill for that. The other part of that, is it, 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 the other verse that comes to mind with that too is in Mark 7, 21, where Jesus said, from within, out of men's hearts, in other words, out of their intellectual, moral, emotional center comes evil thoughts. And here's where our job begins. Part of our working out of our salvation. This is why this means a lot to me. I've been really focused a lot in the last years on 2 Corinthians 10.5 where it talks about we, the, the war that we fight is not a fleshly war. We are battling with the power of spirit, heavenly power, to f- battle strongholds and to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, what's a stronghold? I'll tell you what a stronghold is. It's your past. 
It's whatever you anchor yourself to that's not him. It's whatever, and listen, everybody in this room, myself included, there are no exceptions, have been wounded. Somebody, someplace on this earth have hurt you. And the way the child brain develops, when you get hurt, you have to create a fantasy in order to be able to get through that. Unless you have parents that literally walk you through the experience and explain it to you in a way that a child can understand. But the thing is, that fantasy sticks with you forever unless you get rid of it. And it creates a stronghold of safety to the point where we begin to rely upon our strongholds more than we do on him. So breaking down every stronghold, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Lean not on your own understanding. In other words, do not rely upon your intellectual knowledge. I thought I was, you know, after I'd been at, in the program for a while, I didn't take theology courses in the beginning of the Master's, but I did later on, uh, and that, which I was part of what I was hoping to do. I thought I knew a lot. <laughs> I mean, since coming to Christ here in this church, because the Spirit, that voice had told me right after I met the Lord that night, uh, right after Bud had left my house, um, after the, I could come down a bit to even think, that voice said to me, because there was a Bible sitting next to my bedside, we were reading it, I didn't understand it a whole lot, but we were reading it, and the, that voice said to me, you're going to have to read this every day because your mind is a mess. So I listened because I was fresh. I mean, I, whatever, whatever, Lord. And so I did. And I read, I probably read, well, I did. I read the Bible every single day. I would read a chapter in the Old Testament, a chapter in the New Testament. And then I'd, I'd read all the way through and I'd start all over again and I'd start all over again. And then to get, mix it up a little, I'd get a new translation. I'd probably read six or seven translations, read through. And, and this is, and it was all going in here. So when I got to Multnomah, and I w my first theology course, I said, I'm going to impress these folks. It didn't happen. Not even a little bit. <laughs> Not even a teeny bit. So do not rely upon your own intellect. In, second, in uh, John 12, 24 through 25, he talks about what it means to die to yourself because that's what it means to begin to let go of your history, your personality, who you think you are, who others think you are, who you want to be so you get accolades. Die to self. John 12, 24 through 25, I assure you unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In rereading this verse over and over and over, which I've done over the years, because every time I've been in a state of chaos, I pull this verse into mind and I talk to myself about it. What I recognize here, and, and you know, the Lord brought it up when he said, you cannot be the man you are today and do this. Well, when we went through this transition of bringing, when Bud and Sheila left, uh, and we brought in the team to help us move forward, uh, and the, uh, the meeting I had with Steve and the other guy, uh, when that's the first time I'd met him, uh, they said, well, where do you see yourself in all of this? What, what position? I says, I don't see me. And it's not because I'm retracting from us, the family. I, I recognized 
I could no longer be the man I was and go into this new, new adventure. And I didn't know what that meant. All I knew is that's what I was hearing, you know. I didn't know what it meant at all. But I knew in order for me to get a grasp on it, a grip, I had to step back to find out what that meant. And that's true for all of us because no one in this room, because once again, this is the body of Christ, no one in this room is exempt from anything that any one of us goes through. We're just not. We're connected. Thank God. So dying to self, letting the past go, because if we really want to see Scott Burns and his family take us someplace new, we can't be thinking about that anymore. You know, there's an old term in archery, and it's actually a term that sin means. Sin means to miss the mark. That's what it means. And it's an archer term that if you, if, and I've been an archer since I was in my early teens. I love bows. I only have, I've always had just traditional bows. I'm not into the wheels and all that stuff. Uh, and, but I love it. But I'll tell you this, if you don't stare at that bullseye, you don't know what you're going to hit. <laughs> and, but if you do and you can focus your intention on that bullseye, your body just knows where to put the arrow. It just knows. Lean not on your own understanding. Luke 9.62, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Good. Life first, yes. It, we can't, that it, once you put, and that doesn't mean that you, you don't ever think about what you've left behind. It's that you don't focus on it. Your focus has to be on his face, moving in the direction he's pointing. I mean, look what happened to Lot's wife when the angels warned her, do not look back. Turned into a pillar of salt. So, no rear view mirrors unless you need just to check to make sure you're not going to hit somebody. <laughs> That's all. In all your ways. Now, what is, you know, and we have, all of us have ways. Man, I got ways. Um, my wife's got ways. You know, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a, you know, I'm a business person, I'm a, an employee. Uh, I'm a church member, I'm an elder, I'm a this, I was, you know, I have all these ways. I have ways, in the old days especially, I have ways that I am in my house. I have ways that I am when I'm out of my house. I have ways that, I, I, when I recreate, I have ways. I have ways when I study, those are ways. In all my ways, acknowledge him. In the last four or five years, that's been kind of hammered in the back of my head. Sorry if I messed the mic up there. Um, in this way, when I, what does it mean to acknowledge him in the first place? What does that mean to acknowledge him? It means recognize he has the right, first of all, to what? To all my ways. <laughs> Not only does he have the right, he expects to have me counsel with him in my ways. He has wisdom to share in my ways. He also has an opinion about some of those ways need to go. So I need to acknowledge him on a daily basis. And I shared this with first service. I've kind of created a little, a little practice. I don't do it every day. Uh, I wish I did. I will. More. And that is when I wake up in the morning, I, just, I think about the things I'm grateful for. Well, I'm, you know, I get out of bed, alarm goes off every morning at 5 a.m. 
And I, and I don't linger because if I linger, that could be a mistake. I jump out of bed, literally. I get out of bed and get on with my day and start things going so that I have enough time to have my quiet time and, and Sherry and I can get together and la, la, la. But I lay there because I always, 99.9% of the time I wake up before the alarm waiting for it to go off. I'm not a good sleeper. I don't know why. Uh, and so, but in that time, I have some wonderful conversations with Spirit. But I also start to thank Him. Number one, I always thank Him for this person lying next to me. For the gift. I also thank Him for being above ground again. <laughs> one more day above ground. But I start going through. I just... And because of that, it has allowed me to focus much more on including him throughout the day. I've, I've been, you know, my trips, I, tr I drive a lot. I've driven a lot in my life. But in driving back and forth to work, and I have not been a very nice driver in most of my life. Very competitive. You know, kind, kind of guy that would run you off the road if you just pushed him too far. Or try anyways. So it was a great opportunity for me to heal that way. So I could, I just spent my journeys, I, I eliminated listening to the radio about seven years ago on, in my car. I listened to him. I talked to him. Not all the time. Sometimes I'm caught up in my chaos. But I find that that's acknowledging him in all my ways will make my paths straight. Which means I will, it'll be easier for me to see that bullseye and to focus on that bullseye and to hit that bullseye the way he wants me to. No longer slave to sin if I focus on him. Able to hit the mark as an archer's arrow would. John 14, 12, John 14, 12 through 14 says this, I assure you the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. Also do the works that I do and he will do even greater works. Now this is Christ telling us even do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Samuel, how come you're not? Because of strongholds and not taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And fear, fear is why we have strongholds. Afraid of what would happen if we really surrendered. That's why. And that's, I think, the, one of the biggest problems in the church in this nation, not here, in this nation, is that we're not living out the promises. We're living out that first part of the verse in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're doing good at that. We're becoming mature. But we're not living out new life as he has called us to do, not only here in this verse, but in my second life's verse, which I will read at the end, John 17, 20 through 26. Pastor Scott Burns alluded to this. Uh, you know, I thought he was stealing my sermon last week. I was getting a little bit miffed, you know. Well, don't talk about that, <laughs> you know. But he alluded to this last week's sermon when he shared that, all, all who are called by Christ and who accept are those he recognizes have potential to be like him here. All of us. That's a heavy burden. But it's a heavy burden that we don't carry on our shoulders. We carry it on his do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not think too highly of yourself. 
or what you know or or is it, the old thing is you know it's like you grow at least I'll, I'll speak for me I grow in a certain area like with my driving and I go ah arrived not I don't think there is any arriving and here's why science has put it this way this is a wonderful illustration I wish I had a board they draw a circle like this a big circle and they know this as fact science knows that we know a sliver we know that we know a sliver in that big circle we know that we know that we also know that we don't know another sliver what we don't know that we don't know is the entire rest of that circle which is God so never be too full fear the Lord and turn away from evil it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones and I'm here to testify that if anything keeps me going, it's the Spirit of God refreshes me. I certainly, it's nothing I find, nothing. The Spirit of God, and it really, I mean, re, truly refreshes me. I mean, I get enjoyment out of this and enjoyment out of that, but boy, I tell you, I get alivened with a sense of new life every time I listen to the Spirit. And we all do it. Every single person in this room is, whether you're getting it through Scripture, whether you're getting it through music, whether you're getting it through camaraderie with another brother or sister, or whether you're hearing it somehow internally or maybe audibly, because he's unique with each of us in how he speaks to us. So I want to... I don't know how I'm doing it. Am I way over again? I don't, you don't know. All right. Worship team. Because <laughs> I told the first service, I didn't know how to end the service. I, I mean the sermon. It, it's, it, anyways. So go, I'm going to end it soon here. Find a seat up there, I guess. Second life's verse, and I want to read this because this really focuses on where Christ, where the Spirit has been moving my life in the last five years. Because I think I recognize this, this verse. I, I've read this probably 18 times, you know, reading the New Testament through because it's shorter than the old, thankfully. Um, but it, one day, about five years ago, it just hit me. And it, and it and the entire chapter 17 is a prayer. The entire chapter is a prayer. First portion of the chapter is a prayer for his disciples and apostles. The last part of that chapter, chapter verses 20 through 26, is a prayer for all believers through all time. That's us. And it says this. I pray not only for these, but for also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us. So the world may believe, so the world, the world we live in may believe he sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May, the one, may they be one as we are one. Well, that's pretty big. I am in them and you are in me. May they may be made completely one. Why? So the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. Father, I desire those you have given to me to be with me where I am. And I want to stop there for a second because this is important. Where does God live? Not in the past. Not in the future. Now. 
He only lives in the now because he's eternal. God knows no past. He knows no future. He knows it one, one. I don't, I don't understand it. My brain goes, <laughs> when that happens. But I know it's reality because he says so. So if we really want to be one where he is, we have to learn how to live in the present. That doesn't mean you don't plan, you don't any of that stuff. It doesn't mean you don't pay attention to the clock because otherwise I wouldn't have made it here at all. But my focus should be on attending to the moment and listening. Not running all the shameful, regretful, depressing things I've done in the past or the fearful, the envious, the hopeful things I want in the future over and over and over in my head. No. Keep his face in front of me. Then they will see my glory when you are in the present, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known. So the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. I close the sermon with a story and I, unfortunately, folks, you're going to hear the same story. I'm, I got others, but this seems to be make, make the point, at least it does to me. Short, I'll try to make this short. I will make it short. And that is, when I was in my late 20s, and, and this is an example of how the Spirit always stayed with me. I was living out in the foothills of the coastal range, and I was preparing for a hike from Mount Hood to the Canadian border by myself. Every morning, I, and I was living in a tent out in the woods on this property, uh, and every morning I would get up and I would put my hiking boots on because I knew I was going to be doing a lot of hiking, and I would run. And I'd run cross-country for somewhere between six and eight miles because it changed, it varied. I was near Stimson Lumber, so I was running, I'd either be on trails or on, you know, game trails, or I'd be running on their log old logging roads. There's this one place where you came up over top on a trail and it dumped down into this logging road and then as you ran down the logging road, it broke out into a meadow. So, and I'm pretty, it's up there because it's hilly, you know. I got up to the top of the crest of this thing and I looked down and you can see the meadow from up there and I saw about 12 to 15 deer grazing, you know, eating the, because it was lush and they're drinking out of the mud puddles in the road. Instead of, well, I, no, that's not true. I started to do my normal. Ah! Wildlife! <laughs> I get excited with wildlife, I do. The wilder, the better. And instantly, I heard the voice in my head. Do not do anything but but run, and run with me. And I just, that, at that point, I, you know, fortunately, I listened, and I just clicked, and I just focused on my running, and I'm, I'm going downhill, so I'm picking up speed, so it's taking every bit of effort not to fall on my face. Uh, you know, and, but I'm racing, and I'm not even... I, the deer had disappeared as far as I was concerned. They didn't exist. I'm just running, and not only am I running, I'm snorting, and I'm, you know, I'm just making noise like crazy here, huffing and puffing and running down this thing, just feeling all this life and energy. When I got to be from about here to Ron, I looked up. The deer were still there. They literally just moved apart about four feet I ran right through the middle of that herd of deer. Kept right on going, and about from here to out in the lobby there somewhere, I turned around and looked over my shoulder and go, what just happened? Lord, what just happened? 
He didn't answer me. All I knew was that I had listened to him. And I had experienced unity. And that's what he calls us to be in this new verse, my new life verse. And that is how we will support Pastor Scott and his family is by focusing on the new life that's being brought in here. And personally, checking out on our strongholds, personally checking out on keeping your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And then the adventure will be just like running through a year. Let us pray. Precious Lord, we, we just know so little of who you are. But God, give us such grace and mercy to be able to understand what we do, to be able to be a part of your life, to be encouraged, to be moved, to be convicted. Whatever the challenge is, Lord, you are there with us. And you have brought us here today with a new future ahead of us. Help us, Lord, to just let the old shed off of us like water off a duck's back and that we begin to accept more and more of you who you've called us to be. And in Christ Jesus' name we all pray, amen.